podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast on Tuesday, the 24th of January. A day in which Harry Kane is celebrating. Celebrating having drawn himself level with Jimmy Greaves as the record goal scorer for Tottenham Hotspur. Now, he has played about 31 games more than Jimmy Greaves. But when you consider that Kane's European record is, is excellent and Greaves didn't get to play in Europe a lot, for Spurs back then, um, they do kind of balance themselves out. So 266 goals for Tottenham for Harry Kane. But obviously this was reacted to in the way you'd expect it to be reacted to. He hasn't won anything. 
So what is Harry Kane's priority? Well, news in recent days from David Ornstein is that Kane is open to extending his contract at Tottenham and staying long-term. Whether this is tied to Antonio Conte or not, I don't know. Previously, Kane had said he would like to see what's happening with Conte before making a decision on his career. There has been reports from DiMarzio that Conte could leave Spurs at the end of the season, or in fact that he will leave Spurs at the end of the season. Maybe Kane wants to stay because Conte is going. Who knows? Um, He certainly won't get to work for a better manager in his career unless he goes to... Well, at this point, he'd need to join Liverpool or Atletico Madrid because he's not going to get to go to, to, to City under Pep because they've got Haaland. But 266 goals for one club is a hell of an achievement. And Harry Kane does deserve credit for the amazing consistency he has shown over his Premier League career. For a guy that was not highly regarded as a as a youth prospect who had four loans, none of which suggested that he was going to become a world-class player. He did okay at Leighton Orient. He did okay at Millwall. The Norwich loan didn't go well. The Leicester loan, he was just okay. But in 13-14, he started to be involved in the squad a bit more, four goals in 19 games. And then he just took off, starting in 14-15. Nine seasons, we are now into this situation where Harry Kane is one of the best strikers, not just in the Premier League, but in the world. 31 and 51, 28 and 50, 35 and 38, 41 and 48, 24 and 40, 24 and 34, 33 in 49, 27 and 50, and 18 and 29 this season in a team that's not playing particularly well. Obviously, he gets that 266 goal Last night, the only goal of the game in a win over Fulham. A very good win for Spurs, it should be said. Because had Fulham won, Fulham would have gone ahead of Tottenham in the Premier League table. But Spurs are able now to open a five-point gap on both Fulham and Brighton. They have played two games more than Brighton, but they'll be comfortable enough where they are. They're three points behind United and Newcastle, though they have played a game more than those teams. Kane's record is is outrageous. Nine seasons in a row scoring a minimum of 16 Premier League goals. That is very, very impressive. And up until last season, any time he'd played 30 Premier League games, he'd scored at least 20 Premier League goals. Last season, 17 and 37 But last season was a weird season for him because, as you'll remember, he barely scored a goal before Christmas. There was all the shenanigans after the interview with Gary Neville about his future and whether he would stay or go or what would happen. The Manchester City links were out there. City were very much in on buying Harry Kane. And it ruined the first half of the season for him. So to still get 17 goals in the manner in which he did was was quite impressive. 
he'll hit 20 again this season without question. He's probably going to hit somewhere around 25. And again, that's a very impressive return for for Kane. Uh, at this point in his career, he does need to make a big decision. He turns 30 in the summer. And if he commits himself to Spurs, he's committing himself for the rest of his prime. And he's probably accepting the fact that he's never winning the Premier League title. He could, of course, look to move on. And clubs will line up to get him. Now, in England, City are out. Liverpool are out because they bought Darwin. And Liverpool wouldn't spend the type of money it would cost to get a 30-year-old Harry Kane. But I think he'd have the option of joining Chelsea, which would be, you know, similar to Jimmy Greaves, who played for Chelsea, then AC Milan for a year, and then joined Spurs. Not even for a year, he was he was in Milan for half a year. Um, so like Jimmy Greaves, he, he'd play for, for both clubs, but I don't think Spurs would sell him to Chelsea. I think the one club in England who could buy him is Manchester United, because I don't think he'd go to Newcastle. They've also spent massive money on Isak. So I don't know that Newcastle would be in from it. That's not the, the type of way they're building their team. Is They're not buying older players. They're looking to build a younger team and sort of overperform while they build this team. They're not going to sell them to Arsenal. Like I say, Liverpool and City don't have the need. Even if they might desire it, it's not going to happen. So I think United's the real option in England. But I think his better option is abroad. I absolutely believe that PSG would want him. I think they'd make that work. They'd find a way to fit Harry Kane into their team. Whether it was to play, you know, with Messi, Neymar and Mbappe behind him. It's not perfect, but it would certainly produce a lot of goals. There's the possibility that one of them might leave. So there could be an opening anyway. But I think Bayern Munich's the perfect club for him. Can you imagine him at Bayern with the likes of Musiala and Sané? Potentially Kai Havertz if he ends up back there. Serge Gnabry, Thomas Muller. Harry Kane would score ludicrous amounts of goals in that team, in that league. He'd be 40 a season. And he'd win league titles, he'd win cups. And if he does want to win trophies, Bayern is probably the best spot for it. Because you're pretty much guaranteed to win trophies. You're guaranteed to be a contender in the Champions League every season. The thing with Kane is he's actually getting better as an all-round footballer. Like His all-round game is improving season upon season upon season. I think Bayern is the best move for him, if he moves. But I do like the idea of him staying at Spurs and just playing his career there. And if he doesn't win the major trophies, so be it. So be it. Like, at this point in his career, if he went to Bayern and won trophies, I don't think people would respect it anyway. But if he wins a couple of cups at Spurs, like let's say there's no reason he couldn't win both. Now, I say there's no reason. 
He hasn't won them yet, so that obviously is a reason. But there's no reason he couldn't win both domestic cups and, let's say, the Europa League playing for Spurs. There's no reason Spurs couldn't build a team that could backdoor the way and win the Champions League. They got to the final four years ago. And if he'd been fit, maybe that final turns out differently. Played that game on one leg. He was awful. And it hurt hurt the team. But there's no reason he couldn't win trophies at Spurs. They just need to... He needs to make sure it's the right decision for him. I think Bayern is the move if he wants to leave. And I definitely think the desire is there on their behalf as well. If he wants to experience some some different culture, different way of life. I think that's the move. But if he's going to stay in England, I think he's better off to stay with Spurs. Like even joining United, that team is just so odd. And the age profile of that team is really odd as well. He fits in with Casemiro, Varane and De Gea. But by the time the players around them are good enough to really challenge, the likelihood is that all of them are are no longer fit for purpose. Now, the money at United will be appealing, without question, but Bayern pay pretty insane wages as well. Sané and Musiala get him three, three or four big chances a game just between the two of them. And we've seen what Kane does when he gets that type of service. He'll, he'll score for fun. Uh, the other Premier League results, we'll run through them. Liverpool nil, Chelsea nil, and one of the most boring games you're likely to see all season. Uh, Leicester 2, Brighton 2, Evan Ferguson and Matoma scoring goals for Brighton to ram home the fact that Ferguson is the best number nine in the world. And Matoma might just be the greatest player of all time. Uh, Mark Albrighton and Harvey Barnes with the goals for Leicester, who'll be disappointed because having gone one down, they did fight back to get 2-1 ahead and then obviously concede the late goal to Ferguson. Uh, Southampton nil, Aston Villa won. Ollie Watkins with the only goal of the game. I do feel like Villa got very, very fortunate in that game. The Ward-Prowse goal should have counted. Jacob Ramsey wasn't fouled. He just threw himself on the floor. Uh, but Ollie Watkins with the only goal of the game. West Ham 2, Everton nil. Jared Bone with both goals in a seven-minute burst in the first half. Appalling defence from Everton again, uh, and we'll talk more about them in a minute. Bournemouth 1, Forrest 1. Jaden Anthony put Bournemouth 1 up, but Forrest showing that fight they've had in recent weeks, get a late equaliser, 83 minutes. Sam Surridge makes it 1-1 and a share of the spoils. Crystal Palace nil, Newcastle nil. This was actually a decent game. Newcastle had the better chances and probably should have won the game, but they are struggling to score right now. And that's probably going to be a little bit concerning to Eddie Howe. Um, Needed a very, very late goal to beat Fulham. Didn't score against Arsenal. Only got one against Sheffield Wednesday and went out of the FA Cup. And obviously didn't score against Leeds either. And, you know, both Leeds and Palace have been leaking goals. So they likely would have fancied their chances. 
Uh, they did get two against Le- uh, Leicester in the League Cup, but again, Leicester were dreadful defensively. So Newcastle will be wanting to sort that problem out quite quickly. Manchester City 3, Wolves nil, and Erling Haaland hat-trick. The difference between the sides. Wolves, once again, gave them a decent enough game, but Haaland, like, the first goal is a great cross from De Bruyne. The second is is a penalty, and there's no doubt it's a penalty. Uh, Neves catches Gundogan's heels. And the third is Jose Saad doing a very stupid thing. Uh, Leeds nil, Brentford nil. Unlike other nil-nils, this was actually a decent game where both teams tried to win the game. Um, Brentford were a little bit blunt in attack, but they did have some decent moments. Leeds played some good football, and it's going to be exciting to see that Leeds team develop in the next 18 months because there's a lot of talented players there, the likes of Aronson and Adams and Nanto. And obviously they've gotten Ruter in as well, and Sinistera's back fit again. There's... There's a lot of talent there. Um, whether or not Jesse Marsh can get it working remains to be seen. Arsenal 3, Manchester United 2. Um, Rashford put United 1 up on 17 and Ketty equalised on 24. Bakayo Saka put Arsenal 2-1 up on 53. The Rashford goals, the Rashford goal and the Saka goal were outstanding. Um... Lissandro Martinez scored one of the weirdest goals I've ever seen on 59 to make it 2-2. But Eddie Nketiah made it 3-2 on 90. Uh, just a reactive finish. Um, Arsenal deserved the win. It was a decent game. It wasn't a great game. Some people tried to make it out that it was some kind of all-time classic. It wasn't that. But it was a decent game. And Arsenal were the better team and deserved the win. Uh, United... Very one track. They only really had one plan. And I'm not really sure what the purpose of keeping Veghorst on the pitch for that long was because he wasn't good. Last night, obviously, then Fulham nil, Tottenham won, Harry Kane just before the break. So the table is as follows. Arsenal top five points clear of Manchester City, who in turn are six points clear of Newcastle and Manchester United. Arsenal have played 19 games. City, Newcastle, United have all played 20. Then we get Tottenham, three points back on 36. They've played a game more than City, Newcastle and United. Then it's Brighton on 31. They've only played 19 games. Fulham on 31, but they've played 21 like Spurs. Then it's Brentford on 30 with 20 20 games played. Then Liverpool and Chelsea, both on 29, sitting in 9th and 10th. Liverpool have played a game less on 19 games played. Uh, Then it's Aston Villa, 28 points from 20 games, one point behind Chelsea and Liverpool. Then it's Crystal Palace, 24 points from 20 games. Nottingham Forest into 13th with uh, 21 points from 20 games. They've really turned things around and it looks like my early season prediction that they'd be fine is going to, to come through, which I'm quite happy about. Uh, Leicester on 18 points Leeds on 18 points Leicester have played 20 Leeds have played 19 West Ham with 18 points climbing themselves out of the bottom three 20 games played all five of the bottom five have played 20 games West Ham have 18 points Wolves and Bournemouth have 17 points Wolves have the superior goal difference Everton 
and Southampton, the bottom two, both on 15 points, Everton have the better goal difference. And that is where we stand. In terms of winners and losers from this weekend, I would say Arsenal are a winner. They maintain a five-point lead with the game in hand. Now, obviously, they do have to play City twice. They do have to go to Anfield. They have to go to St. James's Park. The Anfield game doesn't look all that difficult right now, but by the time it comes around, it could be. Uh, they have to play Chelsea again. By the time that comes around, it should be a more difficult game than it looks right now. Uh, they have to play Brighton at home. So they've got a lot of tough fixtures, but that's what you have to go through. Um, so they're the first winner. You know, 3-2 win, showed good fighting spirit, showed good togetherness. I played some really good football in the game. So they're the first winners of the weekend. I think Spurs are second because they've been in such a bad run of form. And this was a very difficult game. Fulham have been really good at home against the top clubs this season. So I think Spurs credit to them. They won an ugly game of football. Uh, My third winner then is going to be West Ham because they've climbed themselves out of the bottom three. When things started to look really shaky for them this season, big questions had to be getting asked internally. And they've got tough games coming up. This was a game they had to win, and they went and won it. Uh, In terms of losers of the weekend, I would suggest that anybody who watched Liverpool versus Chelsea is one of the losers of the weekend. Um, And I would also include both of those teams into that, just because that's the performance they put forward. And I think Everton have to go down as a loser because, again, they've lost to a team down at the bottom of the league. Um, They've lost to Southampton, Wolves, West Ham and twice to Bournemouth in recent games. And that is completely unacceptable. So I think Everton have to be considered as one of the losers of the weekend. Uh, We'll take a break. When we come back, we bid farewell to the sweet prince. We've got some news. We've got some gossip. We'll see you then. Right, welcome back. So, yesterday, Everton made the decision to dismiss manager Frank Lampard in what is a, obviously a heartbreaking bit of news to all of us here at the Two-Footed Podcast. Um, it was no surprise that this is what happened because Everton are second from bottom and Frank Lampard is a terrible football manager. Uh, he leaves Everton with a record of played 44 won 12, drew 8, lost 24, a 27.3 win percentage. And I believe that qualifies him as Everton's second worst manager ever. We're going to have a look at that in a second. But just to compare to Rafa Benitez, who was sacked after only 22 games in charge, Benitez had a 31.8% win percentage and dealt with a lot more injuries and nonsense than Frank Lampard dealt with. Also had far less money to spend. Um, 
here we go, win percentage. Mike Walker is the only one with a lower win percentage who wasn't a caretaker. Oh, no, I'm wrong. Sorry. Howard Kendall's second spell. But he was only there for one year. So, Mike Walker, the 8th of January, 1994, to the 5th of November, 1994, 35 games, 6 wins, 11 defeats, 18, sorry, 11 draws, 18 defeats. Everton stayed up that season on the last day. And then Howard Kendall in 97-98, 42 games, 11 wins, 13 13 draws and 18 defeats. Um, he ends, Lampard ends up with a slightly better win percentage than Kendall. So he's the third worst manager Everton have ever had. Now Benitez is fourth on that list, but again, only 22 games. God, they've had some bad managers though. Walter Smith, 32.3%. Ian Buchan back in the 50s, 32.7, or 32.8 really. Cliff Britton was there eight years, won 36.3% of his games. Was there eight years? Was allowed to do that. Uh, Billy Bingham, 37% over four years. So this is the problem. You let managers who win that few games stay in charge. To be fair, they've only had two managers ever with a 50% win rate record. Dick Molyneux, back in 1889 to 1901, won 50.26%. And Howard Kendall from 81 to 87, which is Everton's golden era, where they won two titles, an FA Cup and a Cup Winners' Cup, he won 54% of his games. Roberto Martinez doesn't look bad compared to some of these. Martinez actually won more a higher percentage of his games than Moyes. Now, admittedly, he had a lot more money to spend than Moyes, but still, um, they've had some bad managers. They really have had some bad managers, and Frank Lampard is, is as bad as they come. He took over last season. They were, I believe, 16th in the league. And they finished 16th in the league. He took over on the 31st of January. They had played, I think, 24 games. They were 15th or 16th when he took over. He took them into 18th at one point uh, and managed to keep them up, winning three of their last six. But it's not like he did well there. Like Frank, Frank Lampard did not do well at Everton by any stretch of the imagination. This season has been an unmitigated disaster. They didn't win any of their first six games, but they drew four in a row and the fans convinced themselves he was turning things around. Then they beat West Ham and then they beat Southampton. They were all excited. Then they lost three in a row. Then they beat Palace in October. And since then, they've played eight league games and not won any of them. Now, to their credit, they got two draws, away to Fulham and away to City, which are probably the two hardest games they had in that run. 
they haven't won a game since October. And in that time, they've lost to Wolves, who are bottom, Southampton, who are bottom, and West Ham, who are in the bottom three. They also lost twice to Bournemouth. They're the only two Bournemouth wins, I think, in their last 13 games. Let's actually quickly have a quick look at that, because that that kind of speaks volumes to where Everton are right now. If you look at Southampton, Southampton's only league win since the 19th of October has come against Everton. Now, they did obviously win two cup of uh, some cup games, but in the league, their only league win since October was against Everton. And it was at Everton, which is even worse. And then Bournemouth, they've been so, so poor. They've won one league game since October 8th against Everton. They've won two games in all competitions since October 8th, both against Everton. They lost four, beat Everton twice, and then lost four again. And then they got a draw last time out. And they also went out of both cups at the same time. So 10 defeats, one draw, and two victories over Everton in the last 13. That is shocking. And it's an indictment of Everton and where they are under Lampard. Because there's just no way this squad should be where they are. It's not the most talented squad in the world, and nobody's saying it is. But there's absolutely no way this group of players should be second from bottom. Joint bottom and points. Just shouldn't be the case. There is some talent there. But his man management has been awful. I mean, he he insisted on them getting Deli Ali and then binned Ali off pretty much straight away in the summer. Now, I understand that there's some issues with Delhi, but you're meant to be, your, your, your whole thing is you're a great man manager. My hope is that whoever takes over brings Delhi back and actually gives him an opportunity because Delhi behind Calvert-Lewin with, say, McNeil one side and Gordon or Gray the other. Like, Anthony Gordon apparently doesn't want to be part of the squad at the moment because he's had a falling out with Lampard. But Gordon or Gray on the right, McNeil on the left, Calvert-Lewin to the middle and Delhi behind, that should be a decent front four. Onana and Adrissagana in midfield. Now, I know Iwobi's had a really good season by the standard of what's around him, but I'd be looking at Onana and Adrissa as your midfield, with with Garner the one to replace Adrissa in time. Decore's been frozen out, which is also bizarre because he was probably their best player under Benitez. Neil Mope, who Lampard bought, he's been frozen out. Defensively, I mean, the fact that he's made Cody such an integral part of things is just really strange. The continued use of Michael Enko as a wing-back is just baffling to me because the guy's a centre-back by nature. He's not a wing-back. He's a full-back in a four or a, le- a left-side centre-back in a five. He's not a, not a left-back in a five. That's awful. And Lampard playing a back eight the whole time. Like, that's just... 
raising up the flag and letting people know you don't know what you're doing. And the truth is he doesn't know what he's doing. And I was thinking when it was it was funny yesterday, like Paul Joyce and all the other journalists come out and say Frank Lampard has been sacked. And it took Everton about five hours to actually make an official announcement. And obviously all his staff are leaving with him. And it made me think of when he was hired. And I can't remember which journalist it was. But he wrote this piece basically about how Lampard had taken the year from when Chelsea sacked him up until Everton hired him to basically assemble a coaching super squad. You know, this all-star cast of coaches. As if he was Tony Stark putting out a call to the Avengers. It's just baffling stuff. And they come in and they've done nothing for this club. Nothing at all. They've made them significantly worse. Again, it's not a bad squad. It just isn't. You've got England's number one. And regardless of my own personal thoughts on him, he's he's an okay goalkeeper. Patterson's a good right back. Coleman's solid and reliable. So that's that position taken care of. On the other side, Michael Michaelenko and Venegra, that's that taken care of. Tarkovsky, Godfrey, Mina, Michael Keane also frozen out. Mason Holgate. You didn't need to bring in Connor Cody, but with him now, you've got a good group of centre backs. You should be able to put a back four in place that works. And then Onana, Dekure, Iwobi, Davies. Idrissa Gay and James Garner. That's a solid, hard-working group of midfielders. Now, the attack is a little bit... It's a little bit potential-heavy in McNeil and Gray, two players that we know have talent but are inconsistent. In Anthony Gordon, who... I mean, there's a player there. I'm just not sure what type of player it is. Calvert-Lewin is a bit of a curate's egg. Mope is an enigma. And then Delhi, who obviously was sent out on loan. Like, it's an unusual group. But there is talent there. and there is. Go- I'm sorry, there is goals there. There just is. But you've got to get them service. I think a half-decent manager walks in there and keeps them up. A half-decent manager. Unless the damage has already been done. But we know what will happen now if Everton do go down. Frank won't get the blame. Whoever takes over will get the blame. The board will get the blame. Now, the board deserve a lot of the blame. But Frank will skate by. And you'll have the likes of Jake Humphreys, if they stay up, crediting him with them staying up. And not mentioning it if they go down. But that's now three jobs he's had. And he's failed in all three. And he's been sacked from the last two and he shouldn't get another job in the Premier League. If he wants to be a manager, he needs to go to League One, get a job on his own merit, not because Harry Redknapp put in a call to a friend. He's not a good manager. And let's stop pretending that he is. And let's also stop pretending that we should all admire him. He was a good player. He was an overrated player, but he was a good player. Very good player. But he's an awful manager. And Everton are well rid. 
And the fact that it's taken them this long to get rid of him doesn't reflect well. The odds on who might replace him, Marcelo Bielsa is currently the bookies' favourite, and I think that might just be because David Ornstein mentioned him, so people threw some money on. Uh, Sean Dyche, his second favourite, he would seem like the most logical choice to bring in. Duncan Ferguson is third favourite. He's the most Everton of Everton appointments. Uh, Marcelino. Marcelino is an interesting one because he is a good manager and he has a decent track record. Now, he didn't do particularly well with Athletic Bilbao last time out, but he did well with Valencia. He did well with Villarreal. And he's shown that he can build a really strong base of a team. So I could understand him. Rooney, I think, would be an awful appointment. Rooney has floundered, shall we say, since joining DC United. Now, he did well well enough with Derby, but it was easy for him to go into Derby where they were just expected to go down and build a mentality within the squad that nobody believes in us, the whole world is against us, galvanize them and get them out and get everything he could out of them. But the bottom line is they still went down. Um, oh, look, I can't blame him for them going down. It wasn't his fault, but still, I, I, I wouldn't be sold on Rooney. He's won two of fourteen with DC United. Let's, 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 let's wait and see what he actually is, the manager, not based on the Derby thing. Thomas Frank won't take the job. Moyes seems to me like the one it will be. It wouldn't surprise me if they have. Moyes with Duncan Ferguson as assistant manager, as their next duo. Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, Marcelo Gallardo, he's not going to take that job. Not a chance. He didn't leave River Plate to come and have a relegation battle with Everton. And Ralph Hasenhutten, who's been sacked by Southampton this season um, for having them in the bottom three. So I don't think he would make sense. I think Dyche and Marcelino make the most sense. I think Dyche is the one that gets the more immediate reaction from the players. But I think I think Moyes or Duncan Ferguson is almost more likely, or Moyes and Duncan Ferguson is more likely. It's a huge appointment, though. But I do wonder, would they just be better off going down? Now, I know financially it would hurt them, and they would lose players. But who would they lose? They'd lose Pickford. But they'd get a good fee. And they could reinvest and potentially get somebody better. Someone they, they can develop to better. I think they'd lose Tarkovsky. But Patterson would stay. Holgate would stay. I think Keane stays. Mina goes. Mina should go. In truth, Keane should go as well. I think Michael Enko would stay. I think Godfrey will stay. Coleman would stay, Venegra stays, Cody goes. If you could sell Tarkovsky, Mina and Keane and use the money and the wages to get, you know, a couple more young defenders in and start to build something there, that might be worth doing. I think you could convince Onana to give you a year in the championship. 
Uh, Decoure probably goes. It will be probably goes. Davies stays. Idrissa Gay might stay. Garner will stay. I think McNeil stays. Calvert-Lewin probably goes, but then is there a market for him now with all the injuries? I think Anthony Gordon probably stays. I think Damari Gray might stay. Mopay might stay. You might keep that whole group of forwards. You might keep Delhi. I'm sure there's clothes in their contracts but going down in terms of wages as well. But I do wonder if you could just go down, clear off a bunch of the higher earning players, get your wage bill back in line where it's, you know, not 90 odd percent of your turnover. And just have an adventure in the championship. Have a bit of fun. There's been no fun for Everton fans in a long, long time. None. Like, look at the managers they've had. Who's been a fun manager there in recent times? Lampard, definitely not. I mean, Carlo was a bit of fun. But he finished in mid-table twice, so it wasn't too much fun. Marco Silva could have been fun, but it, it once it went badly, he didn't know how to turn it around. Nobody enjoys Sam Allardyce. No one enjoys Ronald Koeman. I mean, Martinez, they played some decent football. and The first season was fun. The first season was fun. But I would argue that's the only fun they've had since Joe Royal was in charge. And before that, they hadn't had any fun since Howard Kendall was in charge in the 80s. I would say they've had maybe three seasons where it's been... uh, They had two seasons under Moyes. So maybe five seasons since 87 where it's been fun to be an Everton fan. That's, I mean, that's depressing. That's really depressing. You've got to go back to Harry Ketterick in the 60s and early 70s before they had fun before that. The rest of the 70s were a disaster for them under Billy Bingham. Awful. And Gordon Lee. one nothing. One less than 40% of their games just hasn't been hasn't been great for Everton fans. So maybe having an L adventure in the championship with, you know, maybe a fun manager who plays a fun brand of football with a young team that, you know, is growing together, developing, supplemented by the academy, cleverly put together. I mean... Maybe they're the club that should have a look at Kieran McKenna from Ipswich. Plays a really attractive brand of football. Might take him two years to get them up, but what about it? What about it? Realistically, they're not going anywhere. And at least if they could go down, clear off the wage bill, build a good, exciting young team, and come back up as an actual threat to, you know, finishing the top half, maybe do a Leeds, do a Brentford, do a Fulham this year. Better than the dross we're seeing, where they just thread water for the next five years. Anyway, that's all on Everton. Farewell, sweet prince. You were awful, and you shouldn't get another job. We've got an EFL Cup game tonight. We have Southampton versus Newcastle in the first leg of the first of the two semi-finals. That game will be played at St. Mary's. Southampton knocked out Manchester City in the quarter-final, having knocked out Lincoln in the round of 16. 
having defeated Sheffield Wednesday in the third round. Newcastle knocked out Leicester City in the last round, Bournemouth in the round before, and Crystal Palace in the round before that. Notable that both third round games went to penalties. Um, Should be a good game. Down to St. Mary's. Long trip for Newcastle. Long, long trip for Newcastle. Um, I wonder, did they stay in the South, having been in London at the weekend? Maybe they've stayed in the South, so they're not having to do the journey twice. But uh, you'd fancy Newcastle to win. But if Saints played the way, the, the way they did against City, anything is possible for them. Anything is possible. And if Newcastle continue to struggle for goals... Maybe Southampton can pull off the upset here. We'll just do the gossip and we'll be done. We've got four days worth of gossip, so there's loads there to get through. Uh, we'll start with Saturday. Manchester United are interested in bringing Harry Kane to Old Trafford this summer. Chelsea are stepping up attempts to agree a new contract with Mason Mount in the face of the growing prospect of Liverpool trying to buy the 24-year-old this summer. If I was him, I wouldn't sign a new deal. Now, I'm not just saying that because I'm a Liverpool fan. But, like, look at what they're doing. Graham Potter's ideal formation is is 3-4-3. A formation that doesn't suit Mason Mount at all. And if it's going to be a 4-2-3-1, well, they just bought in Kunku. Now, you could play in Kunku as the 9 and Mount as the 10, but they don't look like they're finished spending either. So for the good of his career, he might want to move himself on. Hacking Zayic is keen to move from Chelsea and join Barcelona. Everybody would be keen for that, but that's not necessarily what reality is. Liverpool are still in talks with Roberto Firmino over a new short-term contract, and he says he intends to stay at the club. Liverpool should be saying goodbye to him. They should. They should be saying goodbye to him this summer. Arsenal are interested in a surprise loan for Eduardo Camavinga. That's since been rubbished by Real. Uh, Manchester United are considering a loan move for Marco Royce after Eric Ten Hag met his agent. Seems seems like a strange one, that does. Uh, Arsenal and Newcastle are following the progress progress of Real, Real Valladolid's Spanish right-back, even Fresneda, very, very talented. It looks like Dortmund are the team most likely to get him this month. Thomas Tuchel is unlikely to take a job at Tottenham if it becomes available because he's aiming for Barcelona or Real Madrid as his next step. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, Borussia Dortmund manager Eden Terzic has urged Jude Bellingham to break the mould and reject the approaches of Real Madrid and Liverpool to stay with the club. Bournemouth have asked Roma about a loan move for Uruguayan left-back Matthias Vigne with the 25-year-old out of favour under Jose Mourinho. That wouldn't be a bad move. They do need to fix the defence. It is a mess. But Lloyd Kelly should be just playing left-back and Sinisi should be playing left-side centre-back in a four. Leicester have made a fresh approach for Harry Suter after their initial bid was rejected. Arsenal are closing in on signing Spezia and Poland defender Jakob Kior. I think that deal is now done. 
Arsenal manager Unai Emery is set to offload Callum Chambers. Um, I, I, didn't he loan him out when he was at Arsenal as well? Let's have a look. Callum Chambers. Yes, he loaned him to Fulham. He loaned him to Fulham. So clearly not a fan of Callum Chambers. Uh Newcastle are continuing talks with Flamengo to try and reach an agreement over 18-year-old Brazilian forward Matthias Franca. Chelsea are interested in Leon right-back Malo Gusto, although the League One side would like to keep him until the end of the season. I really want him to go to Barcelona. So I think I think him, Kunde, Arejo and Balde, that's a really, really strong defence that could develop together for the next decade. And it could be something that's really special that they can build off. Italian side Salernitana are currently in talks with Michael Keane and his agent and want to convince him to make the move. I've said before, I do think it would be good if more English players took the chance and went abroad. Look what it's done for Chris Mauling's career. Seriously, what a, what a rejuvenation for Chris Mauling. Club Bruges Norwegian forward Antonio Nusa will play for Manchester City in the future, according to former Netherlands midfield Ruud Vormer. Um, Nusa is very highly regarded. 17, already made 15 appearances in the uh, Bruges first team. Looks like it looks like the Norwegians may have a, another star on their hands which, you know, you can never have too many of. But between him and the kid who went to Benfica, whose name is escaping me. What's his name? Sheldrup. Yeah, Sheldrup. Between those two, play one of them either wing, with Odegaard behind Haaland, that seems like it could be scary. And that is Saturday. Let's move on to Sunday. Jude Bellingham is expected to reject a new contract offer from Borussia Dortmund with Manchester City feeling like they lead the race to sign him. Chelsea are set to increase their offer for Moises Caicedo to close to £65 That might tempt Brighton. I don't think it will. Uh, Chelsea are willing to swap Hakim Ziyech for Frank Kessie. Ziyech would help Chelsea. Ours would uh, Kessie would help Chelsea. Don't really think Ziyech helps Barca, but you never know. David de Gea is willing to take a pay cut if it secures his long-term future. He'd want to take a significant pay cut. Manchester City are finalising terms for Maximo Perona. That one's done. Arsenal will hold further talks with the agent of Ivan Fresnida this week. Alejandro Garnacho, Manchester United want Argentine forward Alejandro Garnacho to sign an eight-year contract, but his camp do not want him to sign a deal running more than four years. I, I think they're they're right. I don't think he should sign anything too drastically long. Manchester United have been offered Dusan Vlahovic, while Arsenal, Chelsea, Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich have also made been made aware of his availability. 
I wouldn't imagine anyone's been offered him at this point. I'd say his agent is probably making a bit of noise. Juventus have been docked points, uh, 15 points in Serie A for their misconduct and breaches. So interesting to see how it plays out. But my assumption is if Bayern don't get Kane, that's who they go for. West Ham have had an offer for Nicolo Zaniolo rejected. I can't believe Roma are willing to let him leave. I understand he doesn't get on with Mourinho, but Mourinho's not going to be there for all that much longer. Roma will make a move for Gerard Delefeo after they offload Zaniolo. That's like selling your Bentley and buying a Mini Cooper. Everton are trying to find $15 million to sign Ilaman and Jai. Um, really good player. Really good player, but he should stay well clear of Everton. Luis Enrique is one of the options being considered to take over as the new manager of the Brazil national team. That would be awful for Brazil. Genuinely awful. Carlo Ancelotti said Eduardo Camavinga is untouchable, which makes a lot of sense. Manchester City are in talks with Ilkay Gundogan about extending his contract. Manchester United and Tottenham are both man- monitoring Ren and Croatian midfielder Lavro Meyer. Super talented playmaker. Awful fit for United. Would make a bit of sense for Tottenham. Spain winger Adama Traore's contract with Wolves runs out in the summer and the 26-year-old is in talks with Atalanta and Napoli over a free transfer. Could see him fitting at Napoli. Nottingham Forest are trying to sign Mason Holgate from Everton this month. That wouldn't be a bad move for him and a good move for them as well with the injuries they've got. I assume it would be a loan. But if they can get him permanently, they might as well. West Ham midfielder Declan Rice is leaning towards joining Arsenal in the summer, with Chelsea and Manchester United also expected to compete for a signature. Uh, good. Good. Everton's majority owner, Farad Mashiri, has held talks with the club's board about Frank, uh, Frank Lampard. Sean Dyche is not under consideration for the job at Goodison. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Um, Aston Villa remain hopeful of completing a deal for Matteo Gunduzi before the end of the transfer window. Wolves have told Liverpool they have no intention of selling Ruben Neves this month. That makes sense not to sell. Antonio Conte's contract expires this summer, and when he has been offered a new deal, the 53-year-old has asked Spurs to put it on standby because he does not want to think about his future at the moment. Belgian forward Leandro Trossard's agent said Tottenham were in talks to sign him before he joined Arsenal, who were more decisive in securing the move. Arsenal needed him a lot more. Brian Hill is one of the three players Tottenham are offering Roma in a potential swap for Zaniolo. Brian Hill has just started to show what he can do for Tottenham. It will be a shame to move him on. Roma manager Jose Mourinho thinks Zaniola may not leave because the offers for the player are not worthy of him or the club. Why are you letting him leave then? Roma have made initial contact with Hakim Zayic. Everton also want to bring in Zayic. Zayic apparently is the most popular player in the world. The Toffees are looking to, oh, sorry, the Toffees hope to complete the loan signing of Arnaut Danjuma. This is weird. Lampard's the one who did this deal and now they've just sacked him. Are they still going to sign the player? If they are, Danjuma in that role I mentioned for Ali earlier on behind the striker. 
that's the best role to use him. Danjuma behind Calvert-Lewin, Gray on the right wing, McNeil on the left, and just get service to Calvert-Lewin. Manchester United have joined Paris Saint-Germain in the chase for 17-year-old Brazilian Vitor Roque, who's a 52 million release clause in his contract. These Brazilian kids and these buyout clauses are just outrageous. Now, he, by all accounts, is ridiculously talented. I've only seen him twice. I saw him against Palmeiras twice. But he didn't play particularly well in, in one of the games. He just looked like a kid. Um, but yeah, by all accounts, outrageously talented. Nottingham Forest are looking to bring in Kaylor Navas with Dean Henderson facing a spell at injured. Although Leicester and Bournemouth are also interested in the 36-year-old Costa Rican. Leicester have shown a strong interest in Brazilian winger Tete, who is on loan from Leon. Um, oh, on loan at Leon from Shakhtar, rather. He's a good player. He is a good player. Barcelona are happy with Marcus Alonso's performance and plan to hold talks with extending his deal. Why? Why would you do that? It's awful. Inter are interested in signing Chris Smalling because they've gotten the news that Skriniar is leaving. Um, Stefan de Vries' agent says Inter Milan have contacted him about extending the 30-year-old's contract. With Skriniar going, I think they're going to be panicked now into, into signing him. Uh, Burnley are in the final stages of talks to bring in 22-year-old South African striker Lyle Foster from Westerlo in Belgium. I saw his name with somebody else, didn't I? And maybe it was then. Um, yeah, Felix could rise to 10 million. It was Burnley. He's he's bounced around a little bit. He's 22. He made his Orlando Pirates debut in 2017. He moved to Monaco. Didn't get much run. Went to Circle Bruges. Loan spell didn't go well. Went to Vittorio de Gomeres in Portugal. Didn't go well. Then joined Westerlo on loan. Went okay. And now he's having a good season. Um, development is never linear. But I would be hesitant to shell big money on a player that's bounced around so much already. Like he's already had four clubs, 22. And this is the first season he's looked like the player they think he can be. But maybe Burnley's view is we won't get him again, so we have to take the gamble. And if so, that's fair enough. Right, let's do today's then. What have we got? Chelsea have not given up hope of signing Enzo Fernandez in the January window. I think it's fairly clear from what Benfica said that Chelsea can just go away. Uh, Graham Potter's side may also return for Moises Caicedo. Again, I think Brighton have been fairly clear on the matter. Everton have held talks with Marcelo Bielsa to replace Frank Lampard. I think he'd be mad to take that job personally. Uh, Wayne Rooney, Duncan Ferguson and David Moyes are also on the shortlist. Brentford have rejected an approach from Tom, for Thomas Frank. It's from Football Insider, so there's probably no approach at all. Uh, Barcelona and Ivory Coast midfielder Frank Kessie 
has been linked with a move to Stamford Bridge, but is set to finish the season in Spain. Chelsea could target Malo Gusto as they're spending under Todd Bowling near 500 million. With the money for Nkunku, it's already over 500 million. Uh, Chelsea are set to offer Thiago Silva a contract extension. Uh, Everton could target Anthony, sorry, Newcastle could target Everton winger Anthony Gordon as a replacement for Chris Wood. That would not be a replacement for Chris Wood, that would be something different. Um, Brighton are stepping up their interest in 20 million rated Shakhtar Donetsk and Ukraine centre back Mykhailo Matvienko. 20 million is a lot for Brighton, but he is a good defender. He is a good defender now. He'd fit well into what, what they're doing, but the question is. He's left-footed. They've got Colwell. That twenty million could probably get you Colwell, who's seven years younger, and you already have. You could probably keep him for twenty million, maybe a little bit more, and he'd have more resale value. Matvienko won't have a whole lot of resale value. I think they'd be better off keeping trying to keep Levi Colwell. UEFA are set to close a loophole in the financial fair play rule, rules. Which has allowed Chelsea to sign players on, you know, seven and a half and eight and a half year contracts. Bournemouth are bidding to beat Southampton to the signing of Nicholas Jackson. Um, Bournemouth spending 40 odd million on two wingers when their defense is an absolute travesty is a bit like going in to get, you know, a heart transplant and coming out with a nose job. That is. Awful. Like, Nicholas Jackson's really good. I know Atara looks good. But your defence is a mess. Now, maybe these lads are also going to be happy to go down and come back up with you. And, you know, play a year in the championship. And if so, fair enough. Like I said, Nicholas Jackson's really talented. I think the better move for him would be Southampton. But again, you're looking at relegation potentially either way. Lazio boss Maurizio Sarri is being looked at by both Tottenham and West Ham if they decide to part ways with Conte or Moyes. I don't think Sarri will come to England again. I really don't. Uh, Manchester United have held conversations with Antoine Griezmann. Oh, sorry. Manchester United had conversations with Antoine Griezmann last summer before he made his permanent move back to Diego Simeone's team. Um David Blitzer and Josh Harris are exploring selling their stake and investing in Manchester United, their stake in Crystal Palace. I don't believe that they are. I believe they're probably looking at selling the stake to maybe put the money into their bid to buy what is now the Washington Commanders, uh, known to people for many years as the Washington Redskins. Crystal Palace are in negotiations with Stuttgart over 20-year-old French midfielder Narawi Ahamada, that would be a very good signing. Very, very good signing. He fits perfectly with what they've been building. And him with the Curry in midfield would be really, really promising. Barcelona are interested in signing Marco Asensio on a free in the summer. Okay. And Steven Gerrard is set to miss out on the Poland job with ex-Portugal man- manager Fernando Santos close to being appointed 
Santos is a real manager. It makes more sense for Portugal to appoint him. Uh, that is it. That is me for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.